We have been in a series on the book of Exodus about true freedom. And the running definition we've used is true freedom is doing what God wants you to do and being the kind of person that God wants you to be. If you can't do that, if you aren't doing that, you aren't truly free. So freedom is not just being able to do what you want to do, it's being able to do what God wants you to do. And we know throughout this series that we are reliant upon God freeing us to be able to do what he wants for us. Now, we've been in this series for a long time. We've seen the whole story of Exodus play out before us. So we started in the beginning with Israel and the Egyptians in peaceful coexistence with each other. We've seen that they were in harmony with each other, but then a new Pharaoh came to power and he saw the Israelites and their multiplication as a threat. And so he started enslaving the Israelites. He didn't want them to kind of rebel in his midst, so he enslaved them. Now, that led to God acting upon the covenant and promise he made to the Israelites and calling upon Moses to lead them out of Israel. Now, you remember that Moses made a lot of excuses, the last of which was, please send someone else. I know this is the right thing to do. I know I should do it. It needs to be done, but I just don't want to be the one who does it. Like us, Moses was very comfortable in his situation in Midian, so he didn't want to go back to Egypt, and he didn't want to do what God wanted him to do, and he wasn't truly free until God freed him. God equipped him to do exactly what he was calling him to do. Eventually, Moses returns to Egypt, and that's when God starts to send the ten plagues. And we saw that this wasn't just a punishment of Pharaoh, though it was, this was also the defeat of the Egyptian gods. Each and every plague was matched to a, an Egyptian god that the Egyptians worshipped. So God wasn't just punishing them for their slavery of Israel, though that is true. God was also defeating the Egyptian gods. He was showing them, I am the one true God, not any of the gods in Egypt. Then we saw that the tenth and final plague led Pharaoh to give up. He was done. He didn't want any more to do with the Israelites. So they left Egypt. God parted the Red Sea and the Israelites crossed through on dry ground. And what that shows us is that true freedom is completely a gift from God. The Israelites did not escape Egypt because of cunning. They did not win military battles. This was not due to them. Freedom is completely and utterly a gift from God that can either be accepted or rejected. The Israelites, in the case of the Exodus, accept God's freedom, but Pharaoh, in hardening his heart, rejects true freedom. So after the Exodus, you can think, okay, the Israelites are in the clear, right? God has, has promised them a land that's flowing with milk and honey, so they're going to get there pretty quickly, and life is going to be easier, but that's not true because they immediately face difficulties in the wilderness. They can't find water. They can't find food. They face battles with neighboring nations, so... They face a lot of difficulties because true freedom doesn't exempt us from difficulties. Freedom in Christ doesn't ex exempt Christians from difficulties. And we have to trust God to provide in the wilderness. 
Now, last week we got to the Israelites going to Mount Sinai and receiving the Torah or the law from God. Now, we can often view any kind of rules as a burden, but they saw God's love in the Torah because other neighboring nations had gods that didn't really communicate to them clearly what they expected. They were arbitrary and capricious, and you couldn't know if you were ever pleasing them, but God is clear. And he creates a moral structure for his people so that they can flourish. If you look in the Ten Commands, you can see that God is preserving the relationship that he wants to have with them and the relationship he wants them to have with each other. God gives his law, not as a burden, not as a curse, God gives his law to free us. You can see God's love before the law and in the law and after the law. But here's the thing. Moses has been up on Mount Sinai for a really long time. And his people down below, the Israelites, well, they are impatient, just like us. And 40 days goes by, and Moses still hasn't come down. And so they ask Aaron to make a golden calf for them. They ask for other gods, and that's what Aaron provides. And what you need to see in this is that the, the golden calf is probably a symbol of one of the Egyptian gods. So God just defeated the Egyptian gods. God just freed the Israelites from uh, Egypt and slavery there, and they're already worshiping the same gods of their oppressors. This is already happening just within a few months of their freedom from slavery. And you can hear how serious God is when he says to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them and I'll make you into a great nation. Now in these words, you need to see that God is making an offer to Moses. God is basically saying, I will destroy the Israelites for their sin and I will start over with you. Moses, here's my offer, just me and you. They've sinned, they've already started worshiping another god, so I'm just going to start over with you. Now, I don't think that God has kind of flown off the handle and he can't, he, he can't control his own rage. I think he is challenging Moses to be a mediator for the people. That's exactly what his father-in-law Jethro told him that he would have to do on behalf of the Israelites. And that's what ex exactly what Moses agreed to, to go up the mountain to mediate between God and the Israelites. And God is challenging Moses, will you intercede for your people in a difficult time when they've done something terrible? Will you be their minister? And that's exactly what Moses does. Moses pleads to God, don't destroy the Israelites. Don't leave them behind. Remember your covenant with them. And that's, that's who Moses is. He's a mediator. He intercedes for the people. He doesn't accept this offer. He wants to be with the Israelites. That's who he's been called to lead. Now, God makes a second offer. 
God tells Moses, leave this place. You and the people who you brought up out of Egypt and go up to the land that I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I'll even send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites and go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But this is so important, I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. In other words, God makes a second offer to Moses. He says, okay, you've mediated for the people. That's what I was challenging you to do. But here's my offer. You can have the people and the promised land. I'll even guard you along the way. I'll guide you to the promised land, but I'm not going with you. You can have the people and the promised land without God. Now, we need to realize how tempting this offer is. And what I mean by tempting is the internal desire to have the promised land, to be away from the wilderness, to, to not have to eat you know, manna and quail every day, to not have to totally depend on God to have water, to have the promised land. Let me just be frank about this. What if we could get out of our wilderness that we're experiencing right now and God offered to us, okay, you can all come back together. I can restore everything back to normal. You just won't have me. You just won't have my presence with you. You can have the people. You can have the promised land. But you won't have me. Do you desire that? I know reading this week. This is desirable. I want to be out of this wilderness. I don't want our journey in this wilderness to be 40 years. I don't want it to be four more days. I love the restoration and bringing in, being brought into the promised land. I want that. This offer seems good to me, and it's embarrassing, but it's something internal to me. But this is what Moses says. Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Look at these two offers back to back. God first says, okay, Moses, it can be me and you, but without the Israelites. And the second offer is, okay, you've mediated for them. What if you got them and the promised land, but without me? And Moses says no, because that's, that's who a mediator is. You mediate between the people and God, and you always want the people of God and God together. In other words, Moses says, I would rather you and this broken people out in the wilderness than to have the promised land. Now remember, Moses dies out in the wilderness. This journey in the wilderness is 40 years long and Moses dies. He sins too and, and, and God punishes him and says, you're not going to see the promised land. Through Moses' response, he's going to die out in the wilderness. But you know who was with him? God and the people. 
He chose the wilderness with broken people rather than being in the promised land without God. That's because he knows that true freedom is wherever God is. True freedom is God's presence. The closer you are to God, the more free you are. Allison and I have been watching this TV show that has this hilarious kind of depiction of of heaven and eventually the characters in the show get to heaven but the show is not run uh, or directed by someone who's a Christian and so there's no presence of God in heaven it's a heaven without God and what the characters end up doing in this show is choosing to cease to exist rather than enjoy heaven forever because they get bored of heaven because anywhere without God will never satisfy you. The promised land flowing with milk and honey, just as God promised, will not satisfy you. Only God's presence can meet your desires. The famous African theologian Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Nowhere will ever satisfy you without God. True freedom is wherever God is. Now, when we come to the end of the book, we see that this was actually part of God's plan all along. So we started in Egypt. The Israelites were delivered through the Red Sea in the Exodus. They wandered in the wilderness. They got to Mount Sinai. They received the law on the two tablets. And then they constructed something called the tabernacle. And before the Israelites ever worshipped the golden calf and made sacrifices to the Egyptian gods, God instructed Moses to create a tabernacle, a sacred and holy tent that his presence would fill. And so after this incident of the golden calf, Moses constructs the tabernacle. And at the very end of the book of Exodus, God's presence descends and fills the tabernacle. They have exactly what they wanted. Moses got what he mediated for. He mediated for the people and he mediated for God. And so they ended up with each other in the wilderness. They chose the wilderness with God over the promised land without him. And this is, this is the way that the book of Exodus ends. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud, and this refers to God's presence, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. They go wherever God goes. They go wherever God's presence is. They would prefer the wilderness with God than the promised land without him. They go where he goes and they stay where he stays. This, this truth can help explain some uh, more difficult passages. I don't know if you've ever read Psalm 63, but it says, you God are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Tradition has it that David wrote this while he was in the wilderness. 
Then he says this, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. Is that true? His love is better than life? His presence in the wilderness is better than the promised land without him? Yes. That's what the whole Bible presents to us. True freedom is wherever God is. And we actually see this in the New Testament. After Jesus has died and his disciples are afraid when they've locked themselves in their rooms, this is what happens on Easter Sunday. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Can you relate to this scene at all? The disciples are together with locked doors, with fear, and then Jesus comes into the room. Jesus' presence is there. And Jesus doesn't get rid of all of the difficulties outside of their doors. All he does is show up and he's present with them. In the midst of all their fear. In the midst of all the uncertainty. In the midst of all the anxiety about what's going to happen next. Christ is present in the room with them. With locked doors and scared disciples. Can you relate to this? This is my prayer for all of us. That Christ would be present in your house. Past locked doors. With scared disciples like you and me. And my prayer is that because his love is better than life. I'd rather die and be loved by God than live without God's love. I'd rather be in the wilderness with God than be in the promised land without him. Or at least that's my prayer. And it's my prayer for you too.